Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Tasha Wodak, who is a Canadian runner who has competed in two Olympic Games, including the most recent Olympic Games, where she ran a race to be proud of. But this recent Olympic performance was not the result of some very linear, straightforward trajectory of a running career, and Tasha and I talk about the twists and turns of her path. And if she and I start off by joking around quite a bit in this conversation, we end up getting to a very real place where Tasha shares an experience and a lesson that every single one of us would do well to master. Finally, one last thing here. We talk about Tasha's running playlist on Spotify, and you should definitely check it out. So we've included a link to that playlist in the show notes to this episode. I admit I've been running to Tasha's playlist recently, and I just kind of keep telling myself when the running gets hard, this playlist is good enough to motivate an Olympian. That's actually worked for me. So thanks, Tasha. I appreciate it. And with that, let's get to our conversation. Well, T. Fierce, how are you today and where are you today? Hi, uh, Natasha Wodak is how we pronounce my name. <laughs> oh, is it? Um, yes, I was. Uh, <laughs> Americans like to say Tasha, but it's Tasha. So there we are. We'll start with that. Um, I am in Vancouver, mm-hmm. British Columbia, Canada. I'm in my home and I am great. Excellent. Thank you. Just got back from a run. Yes. We've been having a lovely conversation, and then we just decided we should probably hit the record button. So we've done that. We've established, even though I still question that you pronounce your name the way that you want other people to pronounce your name, but we've had fun with like a lot of word pronunciation stuff over the last half hour or so. Yes, we have. And now you know how to say acai bowl. We should... Probably take just a second for me to confess. I can't say this word for some reason. And if a gun to my head, gun to my head right now, I don't think I could do it. So wait, us acai? Yes. How do I remember this? What it's like? It's sort of like society, but acai. Yeah, you have to remember the 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 e at the end. Acai. Acai. You can really get that high. Yeah. The do high I have to do it that end. way? Like pitch up. You could. Acai. You might sound a little silly, but mm. well, <laughs> it'll help you remember. It, I I sound silly every time I mispronounce that word anyway. So okay, acai. I'm I'm gonna go with society as a potential mnemonic and see how okay see how that rolls. Holy cow! You were just in the Olympics. I wanted to hear more about that from you. Uh, since not many of us go do that thing, as in go to the Olympics. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, I was at the Olympics. However, I wasn't actually in Tokyo. I was in Sapporo for the marathon. I was fortunate to go to Tokyo for one day, which was for the closing ceremonies, and to see the village, which was really cool. But otherwise, um, we were in a, a hotel in Sapporo where we had security guards on our floor and we were escorted to and from the dining and to and from uh, the bus to go to training. And that, those were the only places we were allowed to go. So the only time I was allowed to leave the hotel was if we were going to training. The only place we were allowed to train for the eight days that I was in Sapporo was this facility that was sort of like a, it was an old speed skating arena or something like that. And it was a concrete 350 meter loop on the inside and outside was a 900 meter concrete loop. So if you followed any of uh, any of the marathoners on Strava, you would have seen us running the same loop over and over again. Molly Seidel uh, termed it the concrete donut, which mm-hmm. we laughed about. And that was the only place we were allowed to train for eight days. And so that was, you know, the Olympic experience before the Olympic day, which was a little sad, to be honest, Um, because I went to Rio. And so I know what the village was like, and I know what the vibe is like. And um, so it definitely wasn't like that. So that was, you know, it is what it is. We I wasn't there to, 
you know, go and, and make friends and hang out. I was there to, to perform and to have a great race. And so, well, I sort of had a bit of a pity party when we got there, like, oh, I don't get to be in the village and this sucks. Then I realized, actually, I have my own room, a really nice room, and I can focus on what I need to do. And the food is really good, which was great. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm here to run. So whether I run on a 900 meter concrete loop or I run along a river, it doesn't matter. It's not about that right now. So, uh, and I have a great, great support team that was there with us. There was um, eight athletes, marathon and race walk for Canada. And then we had eight support staff there. So we had basically one to one. So they took amazing care of us and had great teammates. And so that week, you know, really, we just, we did we ran, we ate, I got treatment, and we watched the Olympics every night. Hmm. You know, we sat in, in each other's rooms and, and watched, which was really exciting. Um, one of the nice things about being one of the last days of the Olympics is, you know, it's you got to get all hyped up all week watching everybody hmm. do really well. And Canada had one of its, you know, best Olympics ever. So it was really exciting seeing that go down, especially the the women. We had far more women win medals than than men. So that was you know, exciting. Did you have a heads up about what your lodging and training circumstances were going to be like? Or did you show up and you're like, wait, what? So we actually had a girl on our team that was a close contact um, on the flight down. And so we were not at the same hotel as all of the other teams. So we were at what was considered the isolation hotel. So our rules were a bit more strict. Like we had the security guards 24-7 on our floor to make sure we didn't leave our floor. And like we were, there was only one other team at our hotel and they ate on the separate side of the dining hall. So um, the, uh, but the meat hotel that, that all the other teams were at was pretty similar after speaking with um, some of the other athletes, like they weren't allowed to leave the hotel either. And like they, they just didn't have like security guards on their floor, but they really weren't allowed to just do what they, they couldn't go anywhere except, you know, the hotel. And they couldn't like hang out in the lobby or anything like that, I don't think. So um, I, I knew that it would be pretty restricted. I was pretty shocked of how restricted it was, um, which was, you know, a lot to wrap your head around, obviously. Um, but again, like I said before, you know, we we had a great support team that we were able to talk with. And I remember sitting down with my, you know, with my physio and just, you know, that when we got there and being like, I'm going to be basically locked in this room for eight days. And this is the only place we're allowed to run. And there's like, when you get to the, the training facility, you know, there was no Olympic rings. There was no Olympic banners. It didn't feel like the Olympics huh. at all. Huh. And so I was saying to Chris, like I was you know, on the verge of tears. And I was like, this is, this is sad. And, you know, he, he was great. He's like, you know, basically tell me everything you're feeling. And I told him everything. And then he was like, and that's totally okay that you feel that way. But let's remember, none of that has anything to do with your fitness about your race you are healthy, you are fit, you're in a mentally great place to run well. And when he told me that I was like, he's right. Like these things don't have anything to do with the fact that I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm in a great mental space. I'm feeling so confident, like, and I have an amazing team. So when I twisted it that way, you know, it was like, okay, like I can handle these things and let's just, you know, I got it out. I had my time where I was upset and then I was like, now we make the best of what we have and that's all you can do. Right. Yep. So, and that's what we did. Yeah. So I'm, curious as you're talking about the kind of restrictions that you were experiencing how much of this was maybe covid specific stuff and how much of this was like nah that's just kind of how we roll here it was i think pretty much all covid okay. restrictions yeah like the place where we were training like it was inside inside this beautiful park and we are looking out there we're like all oh, these beautiful trails that we just want to run in and normally you'd be able to run you know and warm up in the trails or whatever so and when i went to the olympics in brazil you know you could go to the beach you could go meet your parents for mm -hmm. dinner like you could do all these things so it was very different yeah talk to me a bit about your expectations coming into the games 
And so this could be a year out, a month or two out, you know, how were you thinking about like, all right, we're, we're heading overseas and this is what I would really like to kind of pull off in my race. Yeah. Um, as training started to go along, like I was injured in January and February, I had really bad tendonitis after I ran the Arizona marathon and I was kind of you know, freaking out a bit had been almost three months of me cross training and doing some running before I was finally able to start working out again. And that was the very end of March. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, April, May, June, July, that's like four months in a bit. So I was like, is that going to be enough time? But I, the fitness came around quite quickly. I think I had cross trained really well, which I'm lucky I have an elliptical in my house because here in Canada, we were still very shut down mm -hmm. um, through the pandemic. So I was able to keep up my cross training. And, you know, I I knew as we got closer to the day, I knew I was ranked about, I think about 26th or 27th, if you look like three per country on the list. And I was like, okay, um, you know, the goal is basically to to place better than I'm ranked. But I also knew I was fitter than I was when I ran 226. We thought I was in about 224, 30 shape. And so I was like, if I can run that or in and about that with the heat, like that's sort of yeah. how we looked at it. You know, I can, I can place in the top 16 and, you know, I would sometimes to my very close friends and family say, you know, the dream, which I can barely say out loud is to finish in the top 10. And you know, with Melinda Elmore, our other Canadian female, she's a good friend of mine. We did some training together and we, you know, trained together. We were in the same fitness and she was, would say it with confidence. No, we can place in the top 10, you know, and she went out and placed ninth, you know, so like it was such a privilege to be able to train with someone that was so confident and just, and then went out and just got it done. Like absolutely incredible. She's a 41 mom of two, you know, coaching, she's doing it all. And then just like my inspiration. So anyways, um, yeah, I thought I could place in the top 16. That would have been like my dream day. Otherwise, I just wanted to have a great day and a race that I was proud of. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't know what that's going to look like. Like you can have a really, really great race and end up having a good time and still place, you know, 30th or something. It's the Olympics. You don't, there's so many incredible women in that race. And I'm looking at the I'm looking at the times and, and the people's, you know, accolades. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, oh, who am I kidding getting in the top 20? Are you nuts? But you have to be confident. And I, you know, I had a great training partner with Melindy who helped me be confident and was like, we can do this and we can do it together. And so, you know, to come out and place 13th was, you know, if you saw my finish, hands up, I was just elated like yeah. it was it was really a big deal for me i mean i guess anyone who places a lot better than they thought they would it, it was it was pretty exciting and there's something very special about racing the olympic marathon i don't know it's like the marathon is sort of like you know the olympics when i think of right. the olympic games i think of the marathon so it was very special to be a part of that and and to have the race of my life on the right day is like, well, I don't even know. I'm like, still really lucky. <laughs> mm. Like, I still thinking about it. I'm like, man, like there was a bit of luck involved because, you know, it was so hot and you could have got injured and like, I don't know, all these things. So, yeah, I mean, things have to, so many variables have to come together, right? That, so, cause while you were talking, I was curious, I mean, you said you're like, as you were coming back from the injury, you were like, wow, I actually, the fitness came around pretty quick. So I'm tempted to ask you a question, though I know we just said, look, all of these different variables kind of need to be in place. But like how much in just your personal view is that mental part of it is like the headspace? Is it possible to be feeling really, really physically fit, but then just not show up with the right headspace or something and that really detract from performance on race day or is it like no ultimately 
if you're physically fit, that's going to trump some weird stuff going on in your head. Like how to, how do you personally think about that mindset and actual physical fitness? Uh, mental game mindset is huge, especially in the marathon, especially in a hot marathon, especially the Olympic marathon. Um, it is a huge, huge part. And I have, you know, I've had my struggles over the years with the mental game. And when it starts to get tough, you know, you go to, this is really tough. I'm not as fit as these girls. And even if you are really fit, you get past and you start questioning uh-huh. these things and you just start slowing down. Like even the, it's so, it's just the mental game is so important. And so I have really worked on that and I've worked with a sports psychologist and I've done a lot of practicing, especially in training with taking the negative thoughts and translating them to into my positive phrases. So I always tell people, you should write down your positive phrases. So for me, yes, I can. Hmm. And this is my effing race, I swear. And those are my two words that when it starts to get tough and mm. things, to, you know, I'm like, I actually said it out loud in the marathon several times. Yes, I can. Like so loud mm. because it was like, it was, it got really, really hard. And I was like, you can do this. I had to keep telling myself, yes, you can. Yes, you can. I know this is tough. Like this is my freaking race. Like, and just continuing to really say these words. And sometimes they ended up coming out of my mouth because I was really just trying to, I knew I was fit, but it's the next mental piece. All these girls were fit. You know, you really have to believe and be confident and continue to just positive, positive, positive. Because when it starts to be negative, someone goes by you and you're like, oh, yeah, this is the, this is the end. Then you're done. It is the end if that's Uh what you're thinking. So yeah, that's been a huge part for me. And I'm really proud of the work that I've done on the mental game and like having a coach that has, is the most positive person you've ever met and has really helped me get to that point. And, and yeah, we, we do it in training as well. And we never quit a workout ever. I think that's really important as well as even when it gets tough, we just, we don't quit. You never quit. You just say, okay, we're going to go slower now. Even if that means, you know, yeah, we finish, even if it means going slower. So I think that's a huge part that people should really do in in their training as well is, you know, yeah, you're starting to go backwards. Well, you don't just stop. You say, okay, I'm going to do, you know, these next two 400s, 10 seconds slower, but at least I'm going to finish. So, Hmm. yeah. I love that. (laughs) This is my effing race. Yes. Yeah. Sorry for people that don't like profanity, but it's pretty, it's pretty powerful when you're running and you yell out loud. Um, the spectators looked at me like I was crazy. I don't think I actually swore out loud at this one. I did in Arizona. I think this one, I was just, I grunted quite a few times and I was like, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Like, yeah. So profanity is hot sauce. <laughs> profanity is like pepper on the food. I like, sorry, mom and dad, I'm bored with everything you're saying here about this sort of motivational power, the potential power of profanity. We'll just, we'll just put it like that. And I'm going to start calling you that really crass Canadian, if that's okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start maybe using that to try in my own psychology when it comes to attempting to pronounce the word uh, acai. Yes. It'd, very good. See? It'll be like, <laughs> this is my effing word. <laughs> do it like that maybe so thanks this, i don't know if it translates quite the same i don't, I don't think it does at yeah. all i think everyone needs their positive you know their positive words and to write them down is very important and to you know to practice and it's made a big difference for me and i've been doing it for years now and so it's made a big difference in my racing if you don't mind i never have seen a sport psychologist and i'm just for mm-hmm. you know for amateur runners, recreational runners, but passionate runners or passionate mountain bikers or skiers or whatever. Talk a little bit about what the sort of underlying principle here is. Let's say that I wanted to apply this not to a Olympic competition marathon, but if I'm just trying to have a more disciplined running life, or maybe it is a local 5k or 10k or, you know, whatever, you know, 100k ultra tell me a little bit about what you learned about the underlying principles here it's like if you're particularly struggling with one or two aspects 
try to identify those specific areas of struggle and then figure out sort of the mantra? Yes. I think a lot of the stuff that I learned from the sports psych was definitely about about the mantras and about the positive words. And, you know, she, you know, right away was like, you know, why are you here? Basically, what do you what what are you worried about? What do you want to get out of this sort of thing? And I like that she was so upfront. And I'm like, well, you know, I I'm I'm worried that when I get tired, I'll give up. And I I I don't know. And I'm worried about just the stress and being nervous and how to handle that. And and so that's where we went to the okay, like, you know, shutting conserving your mental energy, I think is something everyone can do in a long race. And is super important is, you know, you have your race plan and you need to stick with it and conserve your mental energy. So don't be playing games in the first, you know, half with, well, maybe I should speed up or blah, blah, blah. If you stick to your race plan and, and try to conserve your mental energy because you're going to need it for later on. I think that's really important. One thing I've learned is to not panic early on and like just sort of try to shut your mind off and, and stick to your plan and things like that. And And then it's always like, well, what if? you know, the plan doesn't go the way it's supposed to because something else happens. And then you're like, okay, well, what's backup plan? And you always have like the backup plan. And so you just go in well prepared. And I think that's really important too, is is just going in prepared for different scenarios and things like that. And, um, you know, with the Olympics and with all of the big events, it was, you know, another thing is like, let's control what we can control and not stress about the things that we can't control and prepare for the worst you know what I mean and so that way when you're prepared with like okay it's going to be really restricted or the weather's going to be really 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 hot and all these things like you are preparing for that worst case scenario so when it's even a little bit better you're like oh I got this Hmm. so I think always you know being prepared for the worst case scenario like okay I start the race and right away I have a cramp what do I do well, okay, like we've talked about this, you're going to breathe through it, you're going to, you're going to be confident to know that it will pass. And even if you have a, a uh, bad few kilometers, you can come back from it. Hmm. And try and just like, knowing these things right away and talking about them out loud is like, okay, and so when it happens in a race, you're like, okay, well, we've talked about this. I'm prepared for this. Like, I can come back from this. Like, and I think a lot of people, especially in a marathon, if you have a bad few kilometers, you're just like, it's done, but it's not done. It's not done. You can, you can, there's waves and you can come back, back up top. So yeah, I really enjoyed talking with the, um, with the sports psych and also just like <clears throat> talking to other athletes and what works for them and their, you know, mental tricks. And, and my coach who was an Olympic bronze medalist herself. So I'm very lucky that I get to chat with her about what works for her. And she always said that, you know, when she would walk into the stadium and she, you know, for, she'd look at these girls and be like, they're my pace bunnies today. You know, like (laughs) they're just here. This is a workout and they're here to pace me. Like, yeah. So just listening to what other people have to say is also really helpful and being open to, you know, being open to using all these, you know, different tricks and things like that. So see if you think I'm right about this. It seems like it might be fair to say that more athletes today are understanding the importance of the mental game and maybe doing things like meeting with sports psychologists to try to train that element of the race, of competition. First of all, stop there. Agree with that? 100%. Okay. So one of the things I'm always curious about then, if we've got more people doing it, to what extent we are all kind of starting to home in on the same techniques or approaches, right? Is it starting to look pretty uniform in terms of best practices, best approaches? Or are you maybe just anecdotally hearing like, wow, there's a whole slew of different approaches out there? Do you know what I mean? Are we at kind of a consolidation point in this or is it new enough that it like feels like it's this whole broad uh this whole broad kind of free-flowing space how would you sum up in your opinion like the state of this practice let's call it the olympics yeah. the 80s so these are things that she's had back from her day yeah. you know her mental tricks but you know mental health 
it, it is much more talked about in this current climate, yep. of course, um, especially with, you know, depression and anxiety. Uh, it's now treated like an injury, which it is. And I'm very, very happy that we, we are at this point in our sport where it's not just seen as you're being wimpy yep. or you can't handle it. Yep. And I'm grateful that we can now talk about it and people are feeling more like safe to talk about this and get help when they need it. Um, and I think, yeah, but like the, the mental game of, of high performance, I think has been around for a long time, but I think now people are in the current climate are going to act, access the uh, psychologist more freely. If that is, if you know what I mean, like not as afraid, like men mm -hmm. in particular, yeah, I see a sports site. Yep. I want to be the best I can be. Like yep. maybe 20 years ago, you know, yeah. men wouldn't have done that. So um, I think that's great. And I'm, you know, excited to see in the next, you know, decade, you know, how we get even faster because, well, now we've got all the super shoes. Now we're going to have like super minds. So <laughs> ah. yeah, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll see. So yeah, that's a whole other topic the super shoes and i brought that up damn i it. was I, damn it <laughs> it's on my list i actually wanted to ask you about this um super shoes and super minds um there we go we've got the power of profanity super shoes and super minds like we're there yeah we this is like just it. a this is a futuristic conversation um but I did kind of want to talk to you about footwear because this actually is kind of part of your story, right? I mean, in terms of the, the bit I know about your transition from the 10,000 meters into the marathon, my understanding is this actually did kind of have something to do with footwear. Do you care to explain or set me straight on this? <sighs> well, I have um, I have really bad arthritis in both my big toe joints. I actually had surgery on my right foot um, after the Olympics in 2016. And it was just, they just caused me a lot of problems. It's the mobility is so limited that it hurts to wear specific shoes. And in particular, spikes are quite painful because um, they're so flexible, right? And so I was getting to the point where training for the 10,000, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to wear spikes again. It hurts. And so I also was ready to run another marathon. Like I was just waiting for the right opportunity, the, the right timing. And so the pandemic hit and, and it just sort of was like, okay, like Arizona popped up and it was just good timing. And then it went really well and I really loved it. And I loved the training. And I was like, oh, this training is way more fun than the, the 10,000 on the track and I don't have to put on spikes. So, you know, the, the plan had been to, to do another 10,000 on the track, um, this spring, but the injury kind of sidelined that. And we, we decided in January anyways, like we're going to concentrate on the marathon. And at that point it was just too risky to, um, put spikes on. Like my toes were feeling pretty good ish. Um, a little cortisone helped that, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I didn't want to, and I didn't have access to the carbon fiber plated spikes i couldn't find any and i was like well i'm there's no i'm not gonna do any training in spikes so i haven't put a spike on my on my foot in over a year so what do yeah. we know about your running technique or gait that like is this just kind of random or does this actually make a lot of sense like the issues you've had i mean it, i would speculate wildly speculate like are you a really high running on the balls of the feet and maybe even very sort of forward as opposed to like, it doesn't seem like if you were a heavy heel striker, this would be as much of an issue unless you've got crazy flexion at your ankle or something like, do you know the biomechanics <laughs> behind? Um, you know what? I actually have a pretty efficient stride from what I've been told and I'm so you're offended. Decently you're, light. Are you mad at my <laughs> yeah, last <I'm> question? <laughs> Have you watched any of my Instagram videos and seen my form? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But I am, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty light on my feet. I think it's just, I have been running since I was um, 12. I'm yeah. now 39. So the body can really only take so much and the constant pounding, I think. And once you get osteoarthritis, there's no cure. So it just continues to get bad. And it's just, you know, people get arthritis. It's just a little bit of unlucky. And so I continue to pound my feet away and so it's sort of gotten to the point where it's 
my partner says he's an orthopedic surgeon, so he knows a lot about this. I'm very fortunate, but he's like, it's kind of at the point where it's pretty much as bad as it's probably going to get. So if you can tolerate it. And so that's what I've been doing is just sort of tolerating it. And sometimes some footwear is a lot better than others. Like the carbon fiber plated shoes have been so helpful. Like I, when I race and when I train in them, I feel almost no pain because it, they're hard. There's no, it's not causing that same flexion in that joint. Sorry for everyone listening. I'm actually doing a visual with my hands. Mm -hmm. It's not that (laughs) helpful in case you were wondering. It just looks like, I don't know, just weird. This is me making weird things with my hands. But anyways, it's like, imagine, you know, you're trying to run and your toe just doesn't flex. And then when you try to make it flex, it's pain in that toe joint. Yeah. So when you're wearing the carbon fiber plate, a stiffer sole. Yeah. It's really helpful. But um, and I found some pretty good everyday trainers, but it, you know, like today it was pretty painful. Just it was my easy run. Yeah. I'll have like, they're just, I think I've been wearing more because I'm not like doing workouts right now. I'm just sort of just training when I want running when I want to. So I'm wearing more footwear at nighttime that I wouldn't normally wear. Like not necessarily like high heels, but I'm wearing like some wedged shoes and things like that, that are causing, which I don't ever wear like in the marathon bill, I didn't wear any inappropriate footwear. I was in like UFOs um, when I wasn't running, like really recovery sandals and things like that. But um, yeah, it's it's a frustrating thing. And to know that it's like not going to get better, like I just have to tolerate and do what I can do. Um, and I've been living with it for like, you know, four years. The surgery helped a tiny bit, but it just goes back to where it was. Huh. And so my partner has suggested getting... Um, surgery on both toes again but again yeah because what did the first surgery do and what would the hope be the second surgery would accomplish yeah you just go you go into the joint and you basically clean it out so you kind of shave down the bone spur and like open up the yeah the mobility um in there so i could do that i mean it's it's the kind of thing where it's like it would take you know six weeks to recover and then you know, you'd have maybe six months to a year where you have less pain and then it's kind of going to go back to where it was. So the, the cortisone does help, um, a little bit like, but that's the kind of thing where it lasts like three to four months and it's not what you want to do. So like, I've only done it, I've done it three times in the last three years. So one in my right foot, no, two in my right foot and one in my left, we had to, and I tried to hold off as long as I could before the Olympics so that, I only had to get one injection in my left foot. So I waited until I was six weeks out from the Olympics so I could have, you know, the last six weeks were like less pain and, and that the race itself would be less pain. So How- you just get used to it. If anyone out there has arthritis, you, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, it's just sort of this constant, like, that's ah, annoying, but whatever. You just run with it. So race day, I mean, this Olympic, like zero? I can't recall. I remember... I had really bad blisters, but besides that, um, yeah, when I'm like, sometimes when I, when I put on this, like when I'm training and racing, it's like, I would say a one out of 10 or two out of 10. And then sometimes when I'm like, it's a weird thing. There'll be days where I'm like, oh, they both hurt. It's like a five out of 10 on the pain scale. Okay. So I always say if it's, if it's higher than a four out of 10, it's like when you shouldn't run. So I always say, so it's, it's usually around a three or a four. So it's kind of like, ugh. it's annoying, but it's like when I'm running with friends and stuff, I'm not thinking about it. Okay. I'm just running. And when I'm training, it's like, and I'm in the good shoes, I don't really feel it at all. So I, that's why I've been able to run as, as well as I, ha- I have, because that's not like I'm, when I'm racing, I'm not feeling the pain in my toes. But this past, you know, getting back <clears throat> into running right now has just been like kind of an annoyance and it's a little frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, I want to go back and correct the record just for a second. I never accused you of being an inefficient runner. Mm. You said mm. you said I think you said I, I lean forward and I'm heavy on my feet. No. Like, no, I said if you <laughs> if you if you were like heel striking, I don't think you'd be having this issue. But I was just curious if you happen to be quite forward which I would not, some people can run in a very forward style. I would not call mm-hmm. that an inefficient style. Would you? No. Uh, 
Mm. We've been fighting for like, I don't know, like about an hour and 45 minutes now about various <laughs> things. So in case anyone's like, why is this? I just I just wanted to get the record straight. I'd never accuse you of being an inefficient runner. I was curious if there was I don't a, think I run um, forward. No, okay. I think I'm you are pretty, pretty neutral. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So there we are. Everybody's like, what is happening? I got my whole history on my, my toe injuries yeah, and my exactly. feet. But hey, I think it's, it is common in a lot of runners to have, especially when they get into their late thirties and early forties, if they've been running their whole life, they're going to have, you know, some arthritis in their toes. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like, and they have, they'll get the bone spurs and things like that. And there's things that help, right? Like ibuprofen, um, diclofenac cream, which is like Voltaren 10%. I think you have that in the States, do you? Diclofenac cream is prescription, um, like ibuprofen cream that you can put on and that, that that's pretty good too. Well, I would love to keep talking about weird toe issues for like maybe another hour or two. Um, I'm going to actually pull us into a different direction, perhaps especially given our conversation about sports psychology you had a period of life. As you said, you have been running since you were 12 years old, but you did have a time where you basically stopped running altogether or at least, you know, stopped competing or like, I'd love to hear you talk about that period of your life and what you were going through at the time. And like, what kind of got you to say, you know what? Um, this isn't going to be my thing, at least for now. And I'm curious, just maybe given what you've learned through the sports psychology stuff, if sort of, you know, what you know now, if that would have maybe affected anything back then, maybe caused you to not stop running, or maybe that, that period of hitting the pause button was a beautiful thing and you wouldn't change that, you know, at all, or just talk a bit about that, that period of your life. Yeah, I don't think that the um, the sports psych stuff and the mental stuff now that I have would have changed anything. I think that that applies more to just like the actual high performance, the actual racing part of it. Um, for me, in you know, in college, I was a I was a good runner, but I was never like I never made a national team, and I never won like an, a title or anything like that. So. Um, but I also, you know, while I was committed to the sport, you know, I just didn't see myself ever going to the Olympics and I didn't think I was, you know, that quite that good. So I never was really as committed and devoted as I should have been, you know, like I would often skip runs and things like that. And so, but people would always say like, you know, you're, you're so talented with <laughs> the training that you're doing sort of thing. Like, um, but I never really sort of was as good as, you know, maybe some people thought that I could be. Uh, and then I just, I graduated university and I was like, okay, like I've given it a fair shot and I'm, I'm done. So I quit. And that was in 2006, I believe, or 2005. And I was like, it's time to get a, get a job and whatever. So First, I decided I was going to travel, so I went to New Zealand and Australia and had a great time and came home, and I wanted to go into policing. So I was working as a uh, waitress at a restaurant, and I was going through the process with police, and I got to the very end, and then I got deferred for two years. So that's a common thing that happens. There's just, you know, like they had hired a lot of people, and I didn't quite make the cut, and they're like, come back in two years. So I was like, all right, like in the meantime, I'll just continue to serve. and you know, that's what I did. And then I was like, I don't know if I want to go into policing anymore. And I actually had been, I don't even know, I feel like it'd been almost three years. And I moved back to where my old university was. And I just started going out for runs with my old group again, and my old coach. And I was a more mature athlete. Like I was like, you know, okay, like, I'm gonna do all my runs. I think I'm gonna do my long runs. And I started PBing like within a few months of joining the group again. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. Like I'm really enjoying it. And I I don't mind going to bed on a Saturday night at 9.30 or 10 o'clock because I have Sunday run anymore. Um, well, I don't know if that's that stage of my life. I was still going out on Saturday. <laughs> you were out till 5 a.m. Maybe not all of them. Maybe not all of them. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, and I just, I started to improve and I started to, 
really love it. And I hadn't loved it like that in a long time. Because in university, I just don't think I got the, you know, there was more shitty races than good races in like, from what I can remember. And I just remember feeling frustrated a lot. And, and so coming back into the sport, I was like, wow, like this is, I'm really enjoying it. And, and I was seeing the improvements and I just sort of went from there. And I made my first national team in 2011, I believe. So I was, I think I was 28 or 29. So yeah, which is, is kind of odd because I've now been on 19 national teams. So it's kind of odd to start late in the game. But I never, I could never have imagined when I got back into running back then that I would be where I am now. Never. I just was like, you know, this is great for now. I'm enjoying training and competing, but like I can't imagine it going to the Olympics. And I just thought I would like, you know, get a real job and yeah. have babies and like do that sort of thing. And and then I ended up, you know, getting divorced. And that was kind of like, okay, this was in 2013. I was like, well, maybe this is my chance to like really see what I can do with my running. And so I went, that was sort of like a push huh. for me to go all in to running in 2013. And I, you know, broke the Canadian record in the 8K that year. And it came out of like almost, well, if you ask my coach, she, you know, I wouldn't say it came out of nowhere, but like you look, you know, it was a huge, people were like, is she on drugs or something? Cause I ran, I think I ran, my PB had been 27, 20 for 8K and I ran 25, 28, which was like equivalent to like a 32 minute 10K or something like that, or a little bit faster. And I had never run under like 34 minutes or something. So it was like, people were like, what is going on? And that was just, it continued from there. And I just, you know, I had definitely some hard times that year because, you know, going through a divorce is definitely not easy. And I'm grateful for running, for getting me through it and seeing the potential that I had and just continued to go from there. And I am fortunate that over the last four years, I have been able to do this as my full-time job. So all I do is run and train and I love it. Hmm. <laughs> if you don't mind staying on it for a minute. Sure. And I want you to correct me because I do not mean to overstate this, but it does seem like sometimes a life-changing event like that, like a divorce. I mean, if that actually was the sort of seismic shift where you're like, okay, the ground beneath me is everything is sort of up in the air. Do, do I mean, I think I heard you say this, but like, did that kind of give you that permission to be like, well, might as well like commit yeah. all in on this thing where you've just told us really well how for different reasons you maybe hadn't gone fully in, fully invested. And, yeah, and 100%, so it's, actually. that was sort of the mechanism that like got you, isn't that crazy? It, again, for at least a lot of people, I, so I don't mean to say this about you, but when someone is maybe going through one of the hardest times of their lives, it's actually the mechanism that by all accounts, like we started this conversation because it's like, hi, I'm happy to be talking with you. You just had this in incredible Olympic performance that you are incredibly proud of and pleased with, but it all kind of has its roots in a real hard event. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, <laughs> that is very true. And I, I look back to that year and, you know, there's this quote that resonated with me so much. It's in your darkest hour, you find your greatest strength. And it really is so true because during that time, it was really hard to find any positive out of it because I was in a really bad place. And, you know, I'm in my 30, how old I was, 31, I'm divorced and I'm starting over. I don't even know what I want to do for a real job. Like I just felt so lost and really sad. And it was like, okay, you're good at running. Let's go all in. And so it was almost like, even though divorce was not a great thing, like a bit of a blessing and, and for other reasons as well, because like, you know, everything, I know it's that corny saying everything happens for a reason, but like, you know, I'm now with my life partner for the last five years and he is 
the love of my life and the person I'm meant to be with. And my ex is remarried and, and very happy there. So I think that, you know, and I've been able to do things with my running that 10 years ago, people, no one would have said, yeah, Tasha's going to go to two Olympics and place 13th in the marathon when she's 39. People would have said no freaking way. So yeah, um, I guess I'm <laughs> lucky that happened. <laughs> I would never say lucky because it was hard on a lot of our families and everyone. But yeah, it, it did allow me to focus on my running and see what potential I had. And I was like, all right, I can do this. So I think this is a really, really, really important thing for people to hear and think for people to understand. It's like, and this is the, you know, this is the thing that as every day we're on this planet that we didn't like get hit by a bus or something, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, there's going to be the quote unquote good experiences and the good times and the quote unquote bad experiences and bad times. But, you know, um, whether we ourselves are going through these really hard things or have loved ones or friends that are going through this stuff, the more stories like this where people can actually say, you know, maybe back to those other folks, hey, I know this is hard right now, but understand there can be real, true light on the other side. And that's not bullshit. You know, that's no, not absolutely. No, that's um, very true. <laughs> I, you just, I know that most of us at a different time of life, some of us listening to this right now might be having a pretty bad go of it. And I think a story like yours, where if we can keep that in mind, where it's like, do the, do the work to quote you from earlier in this conversation, do not quit. Do not quit the workout. No, exactly. Keep coming through. There, there is reason to assume there will be. You know, they. What's the cliche? I mean, it's always this darkest. This too shall pass. Yeah, I this mean, too shall pass. It's got me through a lot of injuries yep. and a lot of times. But when you're in it, when you're in that darkness, I like to call it. It's very hard to see the light. But I mean, I think many people that come out of difficult times. Um, often say they're stronger yeah. from it and all these things. But at the time you're like, why is this happening? You know, like, you know, people who have loved ones that are sick, um, that's, you know, why is this happening to our family and how am I supposed to go for my run when this is going on in my life and things like that. And, but, you know, we go on and, <laughs> you know, running is, is a way of, for a lot of people going out for a run is such a, therapeutic piece and I feel grateful that I get to do this as my job and I think a lot of people are grateful that in their busy lives that they get that half an hour where they get to just run and you know when you're injured sometimes you don't get to do that and where you have life stuff going on you don't get to do that so it's that much sweeter when you're healthy and and your friends and family are healthy and you're everything's going well but you know I touching on this a bit was Back in 2017, I was coming back from my foot surgery. I had been with my same coach for four years and we had a lot of, we didn't get along that well. And he said he could no longer coach me. And this was two months post-surgery. I had already qualified for world champs in London. And I was kind of like, I don't have a coach. I, my toe, I don't know if I'll It'll if the surgery will work, if I'll be pain-free or whatever, and can I do this? And the grind to the 2016 Olympics was really tough for me. I just had a – I struggled. It was, an, it was a lot. It was – the anxiety was really hard for me. Um, questioning, like, do I belong um, at the Olympics? Like, I am I just here to participate? Like, just a lot of stuff. And – I just wasn't enjoying the process anymore. I wasn't enjoying running. It didn't become, it wasn't fun anymore. And so I had thought about quitting. And then I reached out to my mentor, who was now my coach, Lynn Kanuka. And I've known her since I was a little girl. And she said, like, why don't I sort of guide you? Um, and we can see where this goes. Because she wasn't really coaching a lot of high performance athletes. She was just coaching and, and doing some stuff, like just regular people online, I guess she was coaching and run clinics. And 
we started to click right away and she said, okay, let's do this. But if we're going to do this, we're going to do it our way. And it was so refreshing to sit down with Lynn and say, if you're not enjoying this, if we are not having fun, if you are not in a good mental headspace, we communicate and we change something. And just to hear that from the get-go was like game-changing for me because I had sort of always thought it has to be a grind. And you, you know, and yes, there is a certain level of grind that is involved, but I can tell you I enjoyed this marathon build every week of it. I was tired sometimes, but I loved the process. I loved that we were having fun out there and that we were you know, I got input into my training and that we got to, you know, and it, it, and to know that if I was not doing well about something in my life, I could talk to my coach and say, you know, for example, before Arizona, my cat got cancer and I thought I was going to have to have him put down the day before I flew out to Arizona. And I was an absolute mess. And Lynn said, well, then we don't go because you as a person are more important than running. And I want you to be okay. And like, just to hear that is like, amazing. Um, So, you know, there was, there's definitely been times where I've wanted to quit and um, to change the process and to change like how we train and to remember that (laughs) it is supposed to be fun. We are supposed to enjoy this. You have one life, like you were saying. You get hit by a bus tomorrow, like YOLO, this is your only life. So you have to enjoy it. And so I get to run and I get to compete, but I'm also enjoying it. And the minute that I, that I start saying, I don't want to race anymore, I am not enjoying this, then I won't do it anymore because that's not how I want to live my life. And no one should live their life like that. So I know I'm getting a little like deep in that emotional stuff, but it's, you know, it's really has made the last four years just such a pleasure to do this. And, and it shows in my racing, you know, I've run faster than I've ever run because I'm happy and I'm enjoying the process. So very important. A lot of good lessons in this conversation. And I think a lot of good things for just good reminders. Right. And I mean, some of this people have maybe heard before. Um, but I mean, that's the whole point of a mantra, right. Is you don't say it once. And then it just sticks forever. It's about recentering, coming back. I sometimes call it like the chiropractic adjustment of like <laughs> remembering, like, oh right, okay, let's um, let's let's be thinking about all of these things on kind of a big level. And if that is if we're clear on the big purpose and point, like you've been talking about, we have one life then we can start homing down and getting into very specific details of a plan A or a plan B for a race strategy and the rest. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's all good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like saying, you know, Melendi's post the other day running with gratitude. And it's just so true because I'm so grateful that I get to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is my job. I get to run. Are you kidding me? Like, it's such a privilege. And so when you when you're thinking that way, it really it does change the way that that you feel when you're out there. You're like, all right, like this is hard, but I'm lucky I get to do this and that I'm here and I'm doing this. And I have this amazing support team behind me. And, you know, at the same time, well, that can also be pressure. Um, You know, that was one thing we talked about with my sports psych is if for any reason it is a bad day and sometimes these things happen, And there's, you know, it just isn't your day. And no matter how many times you say, I can do this, I'm blah, blah, blah. You might have a really, really bad, like stomach pain or something like that. Something could happen. It's the marathon, right? And that, you know, then I had my plan B mantras, which was, this is the absolute truth. No matter what, my friends and family will love me the same. And almost makes you want to cry because while they were extremely proud of me for what I did, I would have come home, the sun would have rose and life would have gone back to normal and they would love me the same and been so proud of me for everything that I did. And to, re- to know that and to really believe that, I think makes a big difference in your race to know that like, yes, I'm going to run well, but like for any reason, it doesn't go well. Well, life goes on and people aren't going to think any less of me. Like things like, yeah, that was, that was it. when I thought of that, that just, it brought joy to me and joy to my running to think of that kind of stuff. So, hmm. 
I love your story. Um, <laughs> I'm so happy uh, that you've shared this with us. And uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that need to hear this. It's cool. I never know where these conversations are going to go, you know, and uh, it's I, part of the fun. Yeah, I, I think it's really fun again to connect because I wanted to I thought it'd be really cool to hear more about your experience at the Olympics and um, kind of hear from your own vantage point in the rest. Let us kind of live vicariously through through that experience and like where we end up. And your willingness to share a lot of these specific experiences and lessons learned through your experience. Um, yeah, to be honest, um, equally as cool and probably even more valuable. Well, thank you. Yeah. There is this matter of your Spotify playlist, which I cannot yet confirm actually exists. But like, tell our listeners, what is the actual name of this playlist? Maybe you know, technological savants will actually be able to come across this. I am hoping to be able to crack the code. I am going to run and listen to this playlist. I hope secretly deep down, I hope that I dislike a lot of the songs because I will <laughs> let you know. And then I'm going to try to, <laughs> I'm going to try to work in different suggestions here, but, um, but, but I, I need to make this happen. You actually literally shared it with me and I still, yes. it, it, the hyperlink like won't open. So tell yes. the people about this Spotify playlist. Well, my username is Natasha Wodak, my first and last name, one word. And then I guess if you can find me, you can look through my different playlists. So my playlist that I listen to when I run all the time is called running 2020 slash 2021. <laughs> And I think there's 41 songs on it. And it's just a compilation of songs that I like that I put together, I think, near the end of last year. Um, it's it's like pop techno with with one Cranberry song on it. So just I did have I also at one point had the prodigy on there. Oh, nice. Like just, Actually, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not even going to yell at you for that. Yeah. yeah, I put that I put that in zombie on there when um, when my cat died. Cause I was, I was angry and that helped, um, that helped me. <laughs> but now when I heard those songs, it just kind of made me sad and thought this is weird. Although I still like zombie. I mean, I mean, the prodigy's out. The prodigy I took out. Okay. Yeah. It would come on. I was like, this is a little aggressive for my easy run right now. Okay. So I had to take it off. Yeah. So our point here is the hardest part, <laughs> the hardest part is finding the users on yes. Spotify for playlists. Yes. And like we spent like it, probably six or seven minutes of me just trying to get there and I haven't made it happen yet. So I, I'm either horrible at this or other people will have this struggle as well. Podcasts are easy to find. Podcasts are Finding easy to find. an actual user and I'm open, so I don't know why it... Okay. Yeah, I've had trouble finding other people before too. So who knows? Well, if you haven't already received enough inspiration from this conversation... And if you are apparently a technological savant that can find users on Spotify, <laughs> there could potentially be even more inspiration headed your way uh, through... Natasha Wodak. Hey, thank you. This has been a lot of fun and uh, I've learned a lot and uh, you've given me a lot of good reminders too. So I will definitely be bugging you about the playlist. But until then, uh, I keep basking in what by all accounts sounds like just a terrific Olympic experience. And I hope the toast stuff stays low level pain. And I hope the joy level stays high. Thank you very much. And I am enjoying the aftermath of the Olympic glow and just, yeah, it's, it's, it was such a privilege to get to go to a second Olympics and for it to go well. And now to be home and life is good. And it was a pleasure chatting with you today. And for everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. And yeah, you can follow me on the Instagram and send me a DM if you uh, have any questions about any of the stuff that we talked about. Perfect. And where should can people find can you? I, could I put a little Instagram? Absolutely. <laughs> is that your preferred place for people to connect with you? Instagram? Yes. Yeah. And it's just, it's Tasha Wodak. Yeah. I will say like, if you do follow me on Instagram, you have to at least tolerate cats, if not like cats, because there's a lot of cats on my Instagram and running, but most, yeah. I had the pleasure of meeting Oliver and Elliot today. <laughs> and and um, let's just say 
different different body parts of them as well so that was ex- i do i do feel bad that you kind of got oliver's bomb right in the yeah, face yeah right in the yeah. face right in the nice. face hey thanks again good luck with everything hope to talk with you again thank you thank you very much well that's it for this edition of off the couch i want to say thanks to tasha for the conversation thanks to the strikingly handsome justin bob for producing this episode and from all of us here in gunnison and crested butte colorado please take good care of yourself and everybody else please keep moving forward and we will talk to you later this week over on our bikes and big ideas podcast our gear 30 podcast and then next Monday over on our Blister podcast. And don't forget to also check out Tasha's playlist on Spotify. All right. Bye, everybody.